0: All right, my lovely listeners. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Soul Things Podcast. I am so excited for... Um, my guest that I have on the show today, Bob Loddick, and we are going to be tackling the um, very important topic of managing finances and the struggle of finances in your 20s. I know a lot of people, some people have houses and are married, some people are in grad school, some people, there's just a large spectrum of where people are at financially in this decade. So um, I'm very, very excited to have him on the show to kind of hear from his wisdom and his experience. Um, So Bob, would you just take a moment to kind of introduce yourself to my audience, talk about who you are, and then we'll kind of get into it.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Honored to chat and share any wisdom that God has kind of downloaded to me over the years. But but my financial journey was not one of having all my ducks in a row. I was an absolute mess. Um, By the time I was probably 22 or so, had piled up a whole bunch of different debt and kind of found myself at a breaking point where I realized I am clueless and God, I need help, (laughs) you know, and that's for me, it's a great place to start, you know, honestly, just getting humble and asking God for help and reaching out. Um, and so that's where it began for me. And, uh, so I can sympathize with people who are in really challenging financial spots. Um, and over the last 15 years, we've been on a roller coaster. We've had some really high times and some low times and, uh, So anyway, so I I guess I'm just saying all that just to say that I'm someone who can sympathize with wherever you are in your financial journey, because uh, the fact is uh, life is long and no matter where you are right now, it's probably going to be different at some point. And uh, yeah, and that's the beautiful thing about walking with God through it all. You know, we get to trust him in the highs and the lows.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for sharing, Bob. So what So what have been some of the biggest challenges of managing finances in your 20s and the ways that you can relate to to people? Like, you know, yeah. I know, like for me, I'm in grad school right now. So it's like kind of managing maybe a lower income that you would have, but you also have kind of all these school expenses and life expenses and trying to make it on your own. But what have been some of those bigger financial challenges for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest challenge uh, for a lot of at least Westerners or Americans in their twenties is um, they want to, you know, I'm speaking generally, not necessarily you, definitely me, (laughs) but uh, they want to uh, impress other people. They want to like have the trappings of being further down the line. um, But they're in the position, really the starting point for a lot of people in their twenties. And that was certainly me. Um, and so, you know, I had a super low paying job. I mean, and, and then I found out that my college degree didn't really help me in my career as much as I was hoping, which was incredibly disappointing
0: because mm-hmm.
1: I had been banking so much on this degree being the thing that was going to, you know, open up the door of, <clears throat> excuse me, of all these opportunities. And in my case, it just didn't. Uh, and so I had to just kind of work through that. And, um, you know, and that was a really, really challenging thing while I had some friends who were incredibly successful and their degrees did open some big doors and their income just tripled, you know, and, um, and that's a humbling place to be, but it's also a really good place to make sure, uh, that your identity is where it needs to be. And it's not in having a high paying job. It's not in, I'm going to be a big deal when, um, but that it's more in your identities in Christ, you know, regardless of whether things are going the way you want financially. And, uh, that's a really important kind of place to start.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that is a really big struggle. And I've had like friends talk to me about that too, where, um, you know, it's interesting, I actually sent out a survey before I did this podcast. And one of my questions was, You know, uh, you know, I I did interview some people that were in their 30s too. And so, what advice would you give your 18-year-old self? And somebody said, "Don't use other people's lives as a timeline for your own." And a lot of people were comparing, like, "Oh, well, this person's making this much, and they're the same age as me, you know, so I should be there." Mm -hmm. And you're right, there is this, like, you know, trying to show up and trying to to not tie your identity to that is a real is a real battle. I definitely feel that. So, how did you? Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just
1: going to say in social media, it doesn't help, you yeah. know, because all oh are the highlight reels of everyone, you know, and, and we all know this and it's the, it's all your generation knows, you know, because you guys have grown up with this, but um, yeah. So that just amplifies the whole problem is that we're seeing everyone else's highlight reel constantly in front of our faces. Uh, and if you go back through the Bible, it's like, there are so many seasons where people had to wait and there was a divine delay before, mm whatever the thing came from that you're you're praying for, you know, believing for. And so, uh, yeah, so that's just such an important piece that you just hit on there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And kind of going off of what you're talking about, you know, you're sharing about some of the challenges, the process of overcoming those challenges is, is a gradual one is a slower paced one. It's not like, Oh, I listened to this podcast with Bob Loddick and Now I'm set, you know, and it's going to be this kind of journey. So can you share a little bit about how you overcame um, some of the challenges in your financial situations and your job? And
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think, you know, to your point the you- <laughs> Question or there. Uh I think it's so easy to want a quick fix, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think in terms of like um a weight loss journey for anybody who's gone through that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I want to be able to pray that I wake up the next day I'm a hundred pounds lighter. But like <laughs> I I haven't heard a single testimony from anyone right. um, who <laughs> prayed that in the next day it's like, whoa, I'm a hundred pounds lighter, you know. And it doesn't mean that God can't do that. Um, I'm sure he can, but I think generally he wants to work in us, the things that we need, the behavior changes, the mindset shifts Mm -hmm. so that, um, he can do that as a process. And then we have the results and it's not dependent on this come out of left field miracle, but that we've established a new rhythm routine, whatever. And it's the same way with our finances. You know, there's so many of us who have, or I'll speak for myself, found myself in a whole bunch of debt all piled up Mm -hmm. that took me many, many years to accumulate and to think that I can go do something in five minutes and just it be gone, like it's just not realistic. And again, God might do it. And I've seen I've actually seen him do some really cool stuff along those lines. But I think in most cases, he wants to work through us, help us develop the beliefs that we need to um to kind of change in those ways. And so anyway, in my case, a big part of um uh the shift that happened for me that I think a lot of people can benefit from is is our perception of debt and what that looks like and um you know and so i just kind of grew up believing that it's just one example but like a car payment um was just standard operating procedure and you always had a car payment you know i grew up middle class and it's like you're middle class you're always gonna have a car payment just do that drive the car for five years pay off the loan in five years and then at five years it's about to blow up so you need to trade <laughs> that in and get a new one like because it's ticking time bomb you know and uh and anyway, and and that was like one of those first things where it's like we, Lynn, my wife Lynn and I kind of, um, I don't know, like spat in the face of that lie because like mm-hmm. we paid off that car and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to trade it in right now. I'm going to sit with this car. I'm going to keep driving this car. It still works and maybe it will blow up tomorrow, but I'm going <laughs> to keep pushing this as far as I can go. And anyway, and we ended up driving that car for many, many more years and meanwhile, we started taking the amount that we were paying towards the um, the car loan previously that we had paid off. We just started throwing that in a savings account. And then a couple of years go by, it's like, whoa, we got many thousands of dollars here. And we ended up buying the next car with cash. And then we just kept doing that. And so we have bought the last five cars with cash just by, you know, changing that one thing. But Had we not kind of broken that mindset Mm. of you're always going to have a car payment, like we would have never been able to do that. It started with that belief that it was possible. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting and a really important point that you bring up in your book, which I, you know, will put the link in the description and all of that stuff. But you really talk about that mindset shift as well and the importance of that. And I think... I totally relate to what you're saying. I think when you're raised a certain way, I was middle Midwest, middle-class, like same way. And you, you see things sort of done the way your parents do. And, you know, especially in households where you feel like finances weren't really talked about that much. I think sometimes it's this taboo, like we, you know, we don't, we don't talk about this, you know, figure it out kind of thing, you know, just keep your head down, grind, you know, do what you got to do. And there's not really like, okay, but you become an adult and you're like, okay, all I know is like what my parents have done. And if they had that car payment every month, or if they, this is how they manage their credit cards, you know, and it's, yep. it's really, you know, children, a lot of times it's caught, not taught kind of thing. And so I definitely, yep. I don't know if you felt that kind of growing up too, but um, yeah. So that mind shift set is, um is really, really important. So I'm glad that you brought yeah. that up. Um, Yeah. Is there any sort of advice you would give sort of that would help, you know, is it, is it, is the mindset shift really just kind of like, oh, like taking a step back from the norms of what you've seen and are like, okay, but I want to do this differently. You know, how can yeah. you walk me through that a little bit?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think asking the question why, because like you're talking about, um, uh, there's, i talk to people all the time who are like, my dad said that we just don't talk about money in our house. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, I'm like, how are you going to learn? Like where are you going <laughs> to learn? And I and I think what's so scary about it is our financial beliefs. They come from somewhere. Like yeah. we are going to establish financial beliefs, and if we're if they're not coming from our parents offering some wisdom, uh, or if we're not getting them out of the Bible, which a lot of us are not digging out and to find that, then what's going to happen is they're going to be filled up by credit card companies pitching okay. it to us. They're going to be filled up by just watching instagrammers and to see what they do like even if they're not trying to teach us about money like we're watching how they're spending money or we're yeah. watching our broke friends and like those become the sources of our financial beliefs and that's just not good and we find ourselves in a spot where it's like whoa you know and that's why it's so important i think for us as parents or future parents to be thinking about these things but for those of us who you know because my parents did what they could and that's what most yeah. parents do but like i don't feel like i had this massively helpful financial education growing up and uh so anyway so for those of us in this position it's like we need to be asking the question why and is there a different way you know And so like yeah. i mentioned just the car payment thing like that was just one of those first things for me but on this journey with god and you know um ephesians three twenty says um He can do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all we can ask, think, or even imagine in the amplified version. And when you actually wrap your brain around that, like in what that looks like in your financial life, uh, it's really powerful. It's really crazy to think about. And so um, somewhere in getting some revelation there, like we began to kind of get audacious and bold enough to believe that, I don't know, maybe we can pay off our house. And, and again, like yet again, like that, that, just the idea of thinking about it unlocked the prayers for it Mm -hmm. unlocked the uh, intentionality with the decisions that we're making with our money to move in that direction. But had we not even considered a possibility, which most people don't, um, we we would have never prayed for it and we would have never taken the steps to kind of move in that direction. And what's so amazing. And this is just what's so cool about God is when you start praying and you start taking the steps, like, cool things happen. Really miraculous things happen. We ended up paying off our house before we were 31, you know? Yeah. And and God's the one who gets the glory on that. Like we did some stuff, but God's the one who did the miracles. But anyway, my point is still, like I'm absolutely convinced that that wouldn't have happened unless we thought it was possible, you know, not necessarily in our own strength because it wasn't possible in our own strength. But we knew that God was big enough. We knew that God, you know, debt isn't a sin, but like we knew that, it's like, it's never something that he's super excited about. Like, Jesus kept us, came to set us free from bondage. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, I don't think they would do that in all these other areas and want us to be, you know, uh, slaves to debt. So, yeah. So, anyway, so my point in all that is just that um, knowing that, understanding that, believing that allows you to start moving in the right direction uh to kind of reach whatever those goals are you know
0: yeah yeah and what a beautiful partnership of like you doing your part but then also working with god and allowing like the holy spirit to guide you and to like know that at the end of the day like what the goal of this whole journey is right like there's the benefits of being debt free paying off the house like all of those things but like the way he like sort of sanctifies and refines in the process is was probably like Super impactful and changing, but you you mentioned something I want to touch on about debt. So this is another taboo topic, especially like I think in a lot of households, you know. And two, I know so many people my age. I'm twenty six. People in undergrad or grad school have, you know, debt for education or, yeah. you know, credit card debt or whatever, whatever it is. I know a lot of people in my generation do have a lot of debt and it is seems really normal. And you mentioned that debt isn't always a bad thing. So what is good debt? What is not good debt? How do we sort of navigate these things in this decade?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean all things being equal, like, I'd rather have no debt, like we have no debt right now. And I like it. I like it. (laughs) Um, I had big old student loans that we had to pay off. Um, And, and I think there's strategic debt, like I have a few real estate investor friends who have used debt to grow their businesses and do that. I think there are some businesses that you simply cannot start without taking out some debt. Um, There are certain degrees that you probably are gonna have a really hard time doing without any debt. Mm -hmm. And so I think it just becomes a matter of using wisdom, uh, you know, and and I think what what I would say to my younger self, like I ran to college just to get a degree, didn't know what I was getting a degree in, um, just did college because I thought that's what you do. Mm -hmm. And I think more than ever in the last, whatever, 70 years, like we're at a point where that's making less and less sense. Mm -hmm. It's like if there's a strategy in place for I'm getting this degree uh, because this makes sense for the career path i 'm going on like that 's always going to be a value, you know, but I think there are too many people who are running to do college um, immediately when they graduate from high school to do nothing other than or just doing it because everybody else is doing it mm-hmm. and uh I would caution my um, whatever nineteen year old self against that and um and I know for me personally, had I moved out into the career path or had I tried to start a business or two. And then two years later, I went to college, I, I would have been so much better in school. Yeah. And I would have learned so much more, taken so much more away from it. Um, or, you know, maybe I started business and it started thriving. It's like, oh, maybe maybe I don't need to go to college. Who knows? Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of a little bit of tangent with the debt piece. But uh, kind of rolling this up in a ball, I would say, for me personally, um, you know, like I said, we're... I don't plan on taking any of their debt. If we are going to get any debt, it's going to be very strategic and mm-hmm. debt that is going to earn us more money. That's the goal behind it. you know. So credit card debt almost never falls in that category. you yeah. know. Car loans are depreciating assets. So you buy a car for you know $40,000. It's like going down in value every single time. Now, homes, on the other hand, I mean, who knows how the market's going to be. But in general, over the long term, your house is an appreciating asset. So feels a little bit different um you know and like you're saying with student loans i think there are some degrees where it makes sense where you have a high likelihood of having whatever a high income after that it's like all right that makes some logical sense but running and spending whatever four thousand dollars on a louis vuitton bag on your credit (laughs) card that you're going to pay off for or take three years to pay off like just not 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 a great debt to take on you know
0: (laughs) yeah yeah no that that's great advice and yeah i felt like in college too for undergrad it was like i listened to um dave ramsey for a little bit my church did like a his yeah. whole financial program and stuff and i know he's very big on like no credit cards so when i went to college yeah, I'll just stick with my debit card. Like, I don't need to build credit or anything like that. And then I was kind of hearing these other voices of like, oh, there's a way to, to use credit cards that's like actually healthy and you can actually get cash, but like things like that. But it did sort of seem like, oh, this could be a slippery slope. Like if I start using this for more than just paying for gas or whatever you decide to allocate it for. Yeah. Um, so I think there's kind of this like almost fear of at the beginning stages, at least for me of like, how do I handle credit? So I don't become, you know, indebted to it, but I can use it to take advantage of all the perks and benefits that come with building credit and cash back or, you know, travel points, like all of those things. So what advice would you kind of give specifically in regards to like managing credit cards?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So when we, my wife and I, Linda, when we first got married, we both had a lot of credit card debt. We had gotten ourselves in trouble because they are, um, you know i may mean, talk about this in the book but I, yeah. I liken them to a chainsaw it's kind of like yeah. a chainsaw. it's like um it's a very powerful and helpful tool but it's also very dangerous and you can chop your fingers off if you're not careful you know mm-hmm. and so i wouldn't give the chainsaw to my eight-year-old son and say go out and just chop a tree down like <laughs> he's not he's not there yet you know yeah. but yeah. but for me when i've had to chop down a tree i'm so thankful that i have a ch- chainsaw instead of whatever an axe you know yeah. and then i'm gonna chop it down like that so In terms of rules that we kind of created coming out of our mess, because we got married and then we went seven years without using credit cards because we're like, all right, we're just getting ourselves in trouble. We're not gonna do that. So coming out of that, we created three rules that we decided we were gonna follow. So the first one was that we would never use them for discretionary expenses. And so what that meant for me is I'm not gonna walk into Lowe's with a credit card. It meant Linda's not going in Nordstrom with a credit card (laughs) or even the grocery store with a credit card. You know. Um, And maybe not literally. um, So I think we both have them in our wallet. But the point is we're not spending in there because there's temptation for us to spend more than we would like. Mm -hmm. And so the point is to eliminate that temptation. On the other hand, when I'm paying my cell phone bill, there's no temptation for me to overspend on my cell phone bill. And that is how you can keep yourself from overspending, which is the key um, Mm -hmm. to being able to pay off the balance each and every month, which leads to the second rule is that we said we would never carry a balance on our credit card because if we don't carry a balance, then we're not paying the credit card company anything. We're not paying interest charges. They're not making any money off of us. And we're using it just simply as a tool. Yeah. So we decided we're never going to carry balance. If we ever do carry a balance for one month, we'll just chop it up and go back exclusively to debit cards. Um, So those are our first two rules. The third rule is that if we're going to do it, we're going to get a card that actually is beneficial for us and works for us because there's so many credit cards out there, you know, and, um, college campuses, it's like here's a free t-shirt or something silly for yeah. signing up for a card. Yeah. And it's like, <clears throat> don't get a credit card. Cause it can be a free t-shirt. Like,
0: yeah, <laughs> got it.
1: <laughs> like most people don't realize this, but the difference between a good credit card, um, a really good cashback rewards credit card or travel rewards credit card. And then like a decent one, it's not like two times better. It's like 10 times better. So it's just night and day difference. And so we just decided if we're going to do this, I'm going to do, I'm going to investigate. I'm going to go find the best card for us. And we did that. And um, anyway, so that's why I would recommend. If you're going to do it, do get a good card.
0: Okay. Yeah, no, that's really great practical advice. And yeah, I really want to um, dig more into that practical because I know my listeners are just really curious. And another question, and this is a very practical one, is about budgeting. Now, I know there's a lot of apps out there and there's a lot of great tools and resources and everyone kind of needs to find, you know, what fits for them. But is there any sort of advice you would give in regards to, yeah, just like how to manage your money in this decade? Because I feel like, you know, people have such, you know, vast different incomes. Some people are married, some people aren't, you know, just different life stages. Some people have kids, but you know, in terms of just like building that solid foundation of, you know, having a good monthly budget, you know, what advice would you give to people who are, you know, navigating that?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, real quick. So tying back to the credit card thing, for anybody yeah. who wants to know, like, um, we have a page on our website, seedtime.com slash CC, and I list out a bunch of different credit cards I've found that I've found to be the best for different situations. So anybody wants to check that out. As far as budgeting, um, yeah, there are a lot of apps. And to be honest, I've tried almost all of them. And we really struggled with a lot of them. And I think the main reason is that a lot of them don't offer real accountability. And mm-hmm. uh, and this was a big challenge for me. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, because like for me, having an app that just tells me or the screen turns red when you overspend, like just wasn't enough to control my spending. Yeah. And so... Um, we ended up kind of creating our own method where we use our bank accounts to kind of budget. And we call it the real money method. And we have a training course and all this stuff for anybody who wants to dive in deeper. But, but the gist of it is we're using our bank accounts to kind of um, to control our spending and using them as categories and things like that. And so that has helped immensely because it's real money. There's real consequence involved. It's not just an app where cuz like we'd overspend on, you know, in a category or something and just well we'll fix it next month and just keep kicking mm. the can down the road and then yeah. 3 months go by, 6 months go by and it's like you got to start the whole budget over, you know. And so um yeah, so that's kind of the approach that's worked best for us at this point.
0: Interesting. Yeah, so you're saying that you would almost use like different bank accounts for different categories? Is that sort of what you're saying?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um okay. and so we would set uh different accounts you know so for one for groceries or whatever and and this is something that leads back to one of the things we mentioned in the book was this idea of a one category budget yes. so for people who are freaked out by budgeting and don't want to like have always hated budgeting it's like that's torture that's terrible mm-hmm. like we recommend just doing one category like identifying what is a one category where you're tempted to overspend in most and just create walls and create a budget for that category so if that's groceries all right, how can we put walls in place so that we only spend $500 a month on groceries and not, you know, accidentally spend 700 or 800 which is what people do all the time, okay. yeah. you know? And so that's a great place to start, you know? If you don't want to do any budgeting, just start with that one category yeah. and you can get 80% of the benefits just or uh, 80% of the results with 20% of the work.
0: Yeah, that's a great advice. Yeah, I think a lot of times, especially like we were saying in households where money wasn't talked about, the idea of making a change or like stepping into something practical can seem a little overwhelming. So I love the idea of just like taking one step and like maybe the process of someone, you know, gaining control of their finances again. Yeah, is that like step-by-step thing and making those small changes. So I love that you mentioned that. Um, yeah. Another thing I sort of wanted to ask was regards to any advice you would have to people who are maybe still in school right now? And I'm kind of selfishly asking this for myself, but people who are in grad school or med school and literally are probably just like, I have these loans that I'm, you know, going through school with, and I have this kind of part-time job that I have enough time to do, you know, but their life is just crazy with classes and things like that. And kind of the last thing on their mind is finances, but it's still there. So how do you sort of navigate low income? You're, you're a full-time student, you're, you know, you're investing time and energy to, for that career, you know, for that long-term yep. benefit, but, you know, in the here and now, what advice would you sort of give to, to those individuals?
1: Yeah um i think the biggest thing is uh asking the question make sure like don't just don't get in this thing of climbing this whatever thousand foot ladder like hoping that at the very top of it is the answer to the thing like make sure that you're going you're climbing the ladder leaning on the right wall so to speak you Mm -hmm.
0: know
1: because i think it's easy to start going down a path Uh, and just continue to go down that path because you're going down that path. And so I think what this looks like practically is don't be afraid to change majors. Don't Mm. be afraid of like shifting. Don't be afraid of, you know, I was an architecture major for a year and I experienced enough of it to realize, I don't think I want to do this. And I'm really glad that I jumped ship instead of stick it out for five years because it's a five-year program and get my degree and then Try it out and become an architect, and and now seven years later, realize, yeah, okay, I don't think I want to. Do, <laughs> you know. so, yeah. so look for those signs. I mean, and honestly, this might be good too. Is like interview people, take people out to launch who are doing the thing that you want to do yeah. when you graduate, yeah. and like try to maybe shadow them for a day. Like try to get a feel for what you might be doing and making sure that you actually want to do that. Um, yeah. Because yeah, I'm in the position now, um, whatever, uh, 15 years older than you, where I've seen a lot of people um, get degrees, go through the whole thing, get the job, and then realize, man, I don't actually want to do this. And so if you can spot that beforehand, you're going to save yourself so much time and energy and money and everything else. Um, So that's one part of it. The other part is, yes, you most likely have a low income if you're in that situation, full-time school, going crazy, doing all that. So just avoid um, digging a deep hole if you can. You know what I mean? Like don't, don't spend money like you're in a rap video like yeah. you don't have it you know so don't <laughs> spend it and and do your best to live a very frugal life just so you're not digging a deeper hole yeah. because i know for me when i was taking out student loans it's like i just didn't care i didn't even think about it because mm-hmm. it's like oh i'm gonna make so much money as soon as i graduate so it's like these loans are no big deal I'm gonna, yeah. it doesn't matter at all and so be aware that like, it is real. This is real money. This is real debts that you're going to have to pay off at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the government's starting to, uh, help right. with that, but like <laughs> the end of the day, if the government is paying off everyone's entire student loans, like we're in trouble as a country. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, so anyway, so do not depend on that. Don't bank yeah. on that, you know? Yeah. Um, and so just question those expenses, the, the, you know, the student loan debt that you're taking on. And still try to take on as little as you can. Uh, and then within your lifestyle, like uh, t- really try to not rack up credit card debt and personal loans and things like that. Um, just because there is going to be a point where you graduate, and where you're going to have to start making forward financial progress. And it's going to be so much easier if you're not drugged down by tons and tons of debt.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like too, I think that's all great advice. And I'm learning, you know, regardless of the income amount, like there is a way to like, find contentment in like, okay, this is my budget. Like, this is what the Lord has given me for this season. And like, be grateful for that. Like counting, like I I literally write down like grateful lists. of like, okay, like I'm able to afford rent. I'm able to do like all of the practical needs because I feel like it's like, all right, like kind of like what you're saying. Some people have this mindset. Once I make a bunch of money, then all my problems will be solved and I'll never worry about money again. When it's like, it's in my head, I'm like, is it really the amount of income that's coming in? Or is there almost an opportunity here with a lower income to build good practices. So regardless of the amount that's coming in, you're like, okay, I already have the the money method you just mentioned, or this is something that works for me. Uh, And now I just have a little bit more of that, which is nice, but nothing, you know, in terms of your methods are super like changing, maybe you're investing more or doing things like that. But um, I think in my head, I'm trying to maintain a mindset like that because if I'm going in all right, two years, once I become you know, you know, what I, what I'm going to school for, then, then it'll be good instead of like built, like building a healthier mindset. Now, do you, do you think that's yeah. helpful? Or
1: I think that's absolutely brilliant. I, I can't tell you how many people, well, I'll just say for me personally, I think one of the best things that happened for us was at the beginning of marriage, we were completely broke mm. because it forced us to really create good habits and establish good. Yeah. Good patterns of spending. Yeah when in one of the worst things i think can happen is to at a really young age have a really high income because mm. then you're just so sloppy with your spending because you yeah. don't need to be and and i i'm telling you i don't know if i've met anyone who lives this entire life without some major ups and downs financially and if you start out with a really high income and just have sloppy habits when when mm. the tide comes in a little bit or goes out like you find yourself in a really tough spot because you can't survive without Gucci bags or whatever the thing might be. It's like, so just being able to be content, you know, and this is Mm -hmm. obviously super biblical. Like um, in Philippians 4, Paul talks about this and I love this. He talks about, he learned the secret of being content in Mm -hmm. having a lot and having a little. And I love that. And I've always been fascinated by like this secret that Mm -hmm. he discovered of how to be content in both the situations. And I think there's something so powerful there for all of us to get to that place where we can be content with God, regardless of whether we have a lot or little, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, And I think it speaks so much to, and I want to dive in more to the biblical aspect of finances too, of just um, where are we finding our security in? And I think there is this tendency, you know, within myself, as much as I am a believer and I love the Lord, there is this like Okay, but like I just need to make sure that this is okay. There's kind of this like anxiousness when it comes to finances and it's like, yes, like be a good steward and kind of all the things that we're talking about, but in terms of like what I'm really putting my trust in, you know, is it going to be the dollar or is it going to be the Lord yep. that's like given me this opportunity um to be a good steward, to use it to uh benefit the body as a whole, which we can also kind of get yep. into as well. Um, And I know you've mentioned even throughout this conversation, just some scriptures that have been really formative in, in your financial journey and shaping your relationship with the Lord in regards to finances, Um, you know, as taboo as like money was kind of for some of us growing up, you know, I don't really remember hearing too many scriptures about God and debt and money too much. Was like there any other formative verses that really helped kind of shape you in this season of life that you're in now in regards to your finances? (coughs)
1: Yeah, I think um, Matthew 25 uh, and, you know, Parable of the Talents mm-hmm. has always been one that just really has stuck out to me a lot. And And some people read that and say, it's it's not about money. It's, you know, he's using it as a parable. Um, and, I, and I think that there's definitely some truth to that. I think the, the point of the parable is that we are managers and stewards of a lot of different things. I think our time, I think our kids, if we have kids, I think... You know all kinds of relationships. Like there's no there's no limit to the number of things that we are to steward. But I think it's also fair to say that money is one of them, yeah. and that it's um, a resource that God has entrusted to us. And you know, going back to that parable, uh, I just think there's a lot that we can take away in terms of understanding that um, we're not owners, but we are simply managers of whatever is in our bank account. You know, all the time that we have allocated to us, the bodies that we have, like, it's all God's, it's all on loan to us. And Mm -hmm. so the question becomes, how are we going to manage it? Are we going to manage it well? Are we going to um, take some risks? I'm using that in air quotes, um, because following God often feels like a big risk. But are we going to take those risks to do the things he's inviting us to do or to make the most of the gifts that he's given us or whatever Mm -hmm. the thing might be? Or are we just going to, um, in fear, bury our talent, uh, yeah. whatever that thing might be, um, because we're afraid that it might not go the way we want? You know, mm-hmm. and from that parable, we see the two who took the risks and tried to take what they were entrusted with and make more out of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the master had really good things to say for them, and they were entrusted with more. Yeah, uh, and cool. and that's what I want to be, and that's how I've always thought financially. Like, I want to view myself as a manager. Um, and that everything in my bank account, all my investments, my house, my car, whatever, it's all God's that I'm just, it's on loan to me. I'm managing it as good as I can. And I want to be someone that he can entrust with millions and millions of dollars, yeah. you know, yeah. that it's not going to get to my head that it's not, I'm going to, not going to run out and spend it all at Nordstrom or whatever, but that I'm going to use it for his purposes and his glory, you know? Yeah. And so that's been my heart's prayer, you know, for many, many years. And, um, uh, and yeah and that's just what I want to be. I want to be someone who can be entrusted with more. And so I want to do the best with what I have now.
0: Yeah, I think that's such a such a healthy perspective and one that I want to aspire to as well. I think there was always this sort of uh viewpoint kind of growing up too of like, oh, being a Christian and being wealthy can like what does that look like together? Yeah. Because in my head it's like okay, it takes a really strong person to be able to hold all of that money and not let it get to your head, not let, you know, the sin and the, and the selfishness and all of the things that are our default, right? Like a holiness is never our default, you know, it's like this thing that God is giving us and shaping us into. Um, and so, yeah, I've always admired seeing like believers who, who are wealthy, but it's almost like you wouldn't even know it just by the way that they sort of like live their life and, and, and give and do all of these things. It's not like they're necessarily known as like these, you know, prominent status people. Um, But yeah, I just love hearing kind of what you're saying and like how, you know, there needs to be kind of both like, you know, for um, just a little bit of my story. Um, For my first few years of school, I went to Moody Bible Institute, which a lot of people go into that program. It's like paid tuition. It's awesome because people are going into ministry. Right. Going into ministry. Like I use air quotes for that because I think anything Christians do is ministry. But there was kind of this um, expectation that you would not be coming out. You know, you're not going into this engineering degree where you're going to make a lot of money. Like there was just kind of this expectation of like you're going to live within your means. You're going to serve the Lord and serve in the church. You know, some people are going to be pastors, which is awesome. And there's a place for that. And also, I feel like there's a place for people to go into the business world, or to go into engineering, or to go into these software uh, jobs to support the church, to support the ministries, but to also, you know, I think there is kind of this both yeah. aspect because you know it's like the body of Christ, we're all gifted differently, and yeah, one yeah. isn't better than the other, you know.
1: So. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Yeah, and I think one of the things that a lot of people miss back to one of your earlier points about <clears throat> about handling wealth is that you know, obviously lots of warnings about wealth and money all throughout the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And um one of the things I realized, it took me a while to kind of get this, is that all these things, like the deceitfulness of riches, it's just as much of a um, temptation uh, when I have no money as when mm. I have a bunch. Like, the, the number of people who are broke and who are lusting so much for wealth and lusting so much for money or who are making their decisions based on money, aka serving mammon, um, like it's a thing that we all have to deal with. And I think a lot of us who maybe aren't super wealthy, like just think, well, that's just the rich people. They have to deal with that. And it's like, the truth is like, we all have to wrestle with our hearts in making sure that we are not serving mammon, but that we're serving God. And Mm. because you can't do both, like you can't do both. So you have to pick a master. And, and I think a lot of, I mean, I'll speak for myself. Like there's a lot of years where I was in this muddy middle ground of like, well, sometimes I'd make a decision, um, Strictly based on the numbers and not even praying or inviting God into that. And it's mm-hmm. like, all right, well, in that case, like, who am I serving? Like, what am I yeah. doing here? You know, and, and that's just the truth of the matter. So, um, so, anyways, that's just a, uh, I don't know, just a nudge for anybody listening who's like, oh, I'm off the hook because I'm not rich. trying to think yeah. about that. <laughs> like, we all have to work through our heart with yeah. finances because yeah. we're going to be dealing with money in one way or another. And, um, in it, in my, you know, a lot of my, um, how I'm wired and my desire is to be able to do this money thing right and to be, like I was saying before, to be in a position to be able to handle a lot of money for God's glory. And um, and I think the only way you can do that is by working through all these hard things. Because God loves us enough that, you know, just like I'm not going to give my eight-year-old the chainsaw because I not want him to get hurt. Yeah. Like God isn't going to give one of us tons and tons of wealth if he knows it's going to destroy us. Like it's like from an eternal perspective, that that's so short-sighted and silly. Yeah. Like God loves us way too much. And he's thinking long-term. He's not thinking about the sliver of time right now where yeah. so many of us are so focused on the moment. And I just want to be rich right now. I just want to be rich right now. Yeah. Yeah. You know?
0: yeah. No, that's so great. And I I kind of want to take this conversation into the area of giving. Um, I heard a pastor say one time that God isn't after your wallet, he's after your heart. And I know I hear that theme recurring just in what you're saying too is, you know god is a is a sovereign god he's also very good and he's very loving and so like trusting him with our finances is one of the best things that we can do especially in regards to giving and trying to navigate that i think is tricky for me. Cause you know, you, you hear the tithing, you hear, um, you give more than tithing. I don't know. Like I just hear like a lot of different perspectives. Some people are like, you should get out of debt before you tithe or like, I've just heard different things. Um, but what is, I know that you with being able to overcome your financial challenges have been able to give a lot of money, um, away, which is so awesome and probably feels really like free. And like, yes, like I am being the steward that I want to be for, for the Lord. Um, but what is sort of your perspective in regards to like managing your budget and like giving? I know it's a very broad question, so you can take it whatever direction you'd like.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think the way I'd like to answer this is by saying one of the best things that ever happened to us on our giving journey was that we stopped letting it be an obligation for us. And and honestly, like I never even felt major, majorly like it was a major obligation, but it was just the thing that we did, you know? And so we just gave our 10% to church each week. It's like, this is just what we do. And there was just not any thought. We had developed a habit and just like brushing your teeth, once you have the habit, it's not that hard to continue, you know? It's, it's really hard to go from giving zero to giving 10%. Like that's a major hurdle, you yeah. know, like yeah. big obstacle. But like once you've done it for a few years, it's like pretty easy to just continue with that habit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of Christians are um, who've grown up in the church and it's like, all right, I just always give 10% and that's fine. Um, And then there's plenty, obviously, who don't, like a vast majority of the church doesn't. And so I think a lot of them are just giving out of obligation or whatever, maybe not at certain points. But for us, the thing that was a game changer was when we figured out how to, when we started making giving fun, everything changed. And when we realized, wait, we can actually have fun doing this. And so, what that looked like for us was um, looking for opportunities to partner with God in the miracles that He was doing. And so, I mean, this, some of the, in our case, some of these have been like, Bigger examples where God has kind of nudged us to write checks or, you know, give out dollar amounts that were bigger than we wanted. And we're kind of nerve wracking, but, but we could also sense the adventure of going out on this journey with God, you know, and giving. But some of them are really small. And so, like, one of them that comes to mind was, um, I remember when we were first visiting here, we live in Nashville. We first visited here about seven years ago. And we were staying in a hotel. We were in the hotel for one night. We were getting ready to check out or leave our room. And I was going to leave a tip for the, uh, housekeeper and all I had was a 20 in my wallet and I thought that's a lot like I don't know if I want to leave 20 just here one night you know type of thing (laughs) and and I'm sitting there kind of wrestling and like you know what just do it just be generous just lean air on the side of being generous and uh and so I laid this twenty on the pillow, and I walked out. As we were walking out, she was walking in. So we walked mm-hmm. down the hall, and I press the button on the elevator. And as soon as I do, I hear her running down the hallway. She gets to us. She's in tears. She's so ecstatic about this twenty dollar gift, and goes on to just, you know, explain some stuff and and all that. Like I remember getting on that elevator. In talking to linda and just being like that was 20 dollars for us like we could have blown that any number of ways mm-hmm. uh it just wasn't that big of a deal for us but that made her weak like that had such an impact on her and she's going to be talking about this for a while and it just was one of those things where i realized if we can be doing this on a daily basis like why not you know and, and to this day like i'm telling you the story seven years later because it's yeah. impacted us like yeah. because it was and that's the beautiful thing about giving and generosity with God is it's not it's not a one-way street where it's just the recipient who benefits. Like both sides benefit. That's why it's so amazing. That's why Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive, because we both benefit. Yeah. And so anyway, so in all that, like we just determined how do we find ways to do more of that. Mm. And that is fun. And yeah. When It's fun. You want to do more of it. And so it's like this self-fulfilling cycle where you start doing more and more and more of it. Yeah. And so, you know, and there've been a lot of um, practical things we've done, but I mean, one of the simple things that we did, like you're talking about with budget, like we created a separate category in our budget. We call it our seed account or a seed, you know, category And every single month, at the beginning of the month, we throw money in there and it's just sitting there waiting for moments like that where the money's just sitting there. And so we're looking around to see what God might want to do. Is there somebody he might want us to bless? Is there something there? And when you're, when the money is sitting there designated for that purpose, it makes it so easy because it doesn't even feel like our money anymore. It's like Mm -hmm. giving away someone else's money. And then the joy of being able to partner with God on a miracle, somebody who's like, Oh man, I'm in desperate situation I need X and the, be in that situation where God can just connect those two dots and you get to be part of that. It's just, it's so fun. And so that has changed the game in our giving.
0: Yeah. And it's such a cool way to like step out of, I think we get so caught up in our own little worlds, you know, and only see what we need and like making ends meet all of this stuff, but it's a cool way to engage in what God is doing in other people's worlds and opportunities. And like, it's so funny you mentioned that because I actually started doing that as well, because when I was stepping into this mindset of like, I'm not going to wait till I have X amount of dollars in my account to start giving like I don't want to miss out on what God is doing and so like to have like to hear stories like that it's like okay like you know tithing to the church awesome like yes doing that too but like what are other ways that I can engage with the people in my own life in strangers lives in different things like that and be able to walk away and be like wow God like like what a testament to your goodness in my life and into that person's life by simply designating some money in that in that area, yep. and that's such a practical and simple way um, for people to to step outside of their own world and to engage and yeah. in work that God is doing. Um, yep. So I, I love, I love uh, hearing about people doing that as well, but thank you so much, Bob, for being on the show. I do want to plug your book. And also you have an amazing podcast that I love listening to see time money. So if you all get a chance, I'm going to link this book in the description. Um, him and his wife wrote it. It's simple money, rich life. And it has all of this uh, practical wisdom that Bob just shared with us, but also a lot of um, cool stories, a lot of spiritual wisdom as well, when it comes to managing your finances. So if you are listening and you are, whether you are in a lot of debt or in no debt, you know, all of this advice can be super helpful just in shaping that mindset that we've been talking about and how it affects your relationship with God and with others and all of that. So um, is there anything else, Bob, that you'd like to share some parting words to my audience who just received, you know, a buffet full of wisdom?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, don't, I would say don't let, uh, you know, for a lot of people, it's like who don't think about money a whole lot and then might listen to podcasts like this. Like, don't let this be an overwhelming thing. Like just start Mm. with something, start with one little piece and just start moving forward. It's a journey, um, but you do it with God and uh, you just keep at it. And it's like, it's amazing how different your world can look in just a couple of years. So um, that's my encouragement. Just start small and just start moving forward.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you again, Bob. This has just been such a great conversation. I know I've personally benefited from it listening and I know that my audience has as well. So thank you guys so much for tuning into another episode of Soul Things Podcast and joining me on navigating this journey of your 20s. So remember, even in the hard spaces, his grace abounds. I'll see you next month.